chance, one life, one take. Little room for mistake. Who do you want? Hello and welcome to the Dead Funny, Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I'm your host, and this is the series 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days. Today, our guest is End of Life Doula Oceana Sawyer. Hello, Oceana. Welcome. Hello. So today we are going to dive right in to your why. You know, uh, I was with my father when he died. It was my first death. And honestly, it was so compelling. It was unexpected. I was unprepared. Well, except that I chose it. Like he announced, you know, I'm not going to do the dialysis. Uh, He was in renal failure. I'm just going to party out. When somebody says they're going to party out, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm so there. Sign me up. (laughs) And I was in a spiritual training. So I thought, oh, this would be a good way to see what happens to a spirit as it leaves a body. So uh, we did that for five days, my father and I. It was huge because he was willing, I guess. And um, it was an extraordinary space. I'd heard tales of this space, but I will tell you that all of that urban myth, a lot of it's true. I just was like, wow, no, is that really the, no, no, I think it's my grandmother. You know, you just, you can feel it. It's like, there's this familiar feeling in the room and then it's a crowd of people. So it's like, okay, well, it's all the ancestors who wanted to come and help him cross over. That was palpable. So, you know, now I'm hooked. And um, I was telling somebody this the other day, I found almost in those moments of him passing, maybe even the days leading up to, it's hard to begin to dawn slowly. Oh, this is my niche. This is probably what I came here to do. And then by the time he, he passed, I was like, oh yes, this is what I'm, I'm here to do. And then people, friends and family would, you know, say, oh, Shiana, you know, come. And, uh. So then I made it more formal a couple of years ago. It sounds like he was there for it and you were there for it. Yeah, right. It was just, I mean, honestly, and maybe because that was my first experience, that was been pretty much a lot of my experience uh, with, with folks is people who want to, who want me to be with them, they are there for it. Like they, they get it. It's like, I don't even register with people who are like i'm afraid i don't know oh my god we keep fighting we keep fighting like those people are not even in my purview <laughs> you know i'm just with the people who are i've i've uh, confronted my life i'm here to confront my death with as much with all the enthusiasm with which i confronted my life and so here we go so i've been fortunate it sounds like the calling found you And then you found your niche inside of that in this magical way that I'll point out the three words. It really struck me when, when I asked everybody that wanted to do this interview, uh, three words that describe their practice. You wrote practical, liminal, and sensual. Oh my God, Mitzi. I forgot I wrote all that. (laughs) Can you send me the form again? (laughs) What am I doing? I'll send you back your form. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, it's good to know I was on it that day because those words still resonate. Um, It was practical, liminal, and sensual. 
Oh, I should write that down. That's good <laughs> marketing. Um, yeah. I, oh gosh, you know, my approach to it is really about, let's get some nuts and bolts in place so that you can party on out. And so I'm, I'm not as good with the nuts and bolts myself. Um, so I rely on the tools of my friends like Alua and um, Willow, um, End of Life. Um, oh, there's this really woman who's a great packet for um, advanced care planning. So I rely on other people's tools for that part. I think that's you should have that. And in addition to that, I ask people very practical questions as their doula, like, okay, so uh, who do you want in the space? And uh, how do you want this to go? And when it's all over, how long do you want to be around? What do you want to have happen after your butt with your butt? So we handle some nuts and bolts. And that part, actually, I do uh, with people in a course called um, the End of Life Vision Map. You can, uh, I walk people, I used to do this privately, you know, one-on-one with people. But this year I started doing it as a, as a, as in a group, as a course, and it's way more fun and more useful actually. And uh, because what happens is now you're with not just me, but you're with, um, you know, 10 or so other people. And all of you together are looking at how would you like to end your days in five domains of life, you know? So like the physical domain, how do you want your physical set and setting set up? You know, do you want to be at home? You know, do you want to be by the ocean? I've had people talk about how I need to go find a house that I can rent easily for when I die, because that's where I want to be by the sea, you know? Um, so, you know, your so the physical domain, the spiritual domain, this was the domain, by the way, that kicked my little patootie because I thought I have my spirituality all figured out, please. I've been a spiritual being my whole life, you know. But really, when it came down to end of life, I realized that my very fluffy new agey beliefs did not hold me in that space. So I actually have put some work into developing a more robust coherent um, sense of myself as a spiritual being. I've added in some African traditional um, pieces. I know priests and priestesses now. I know Buddhist people who can, you know, hold space for when I'm, when I end my days. Now these are people I know right now and I am 58. So, okay. This might not happen tomorrow, but now that I have a plan, I can just keep updating it. You know, and I do recommend that people do that annually. Um, so you, so a, it's not too soon to be thinking about how you how you want to end your days, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, um, in terms of your legacy. Like, what is what are your intellectual property? You know, that you're going to leave to the planet, um, whether or not you have children. So many of us don't have children. Chose not to have children now. And then um, the final domain, the disposition of your body, like how do you want that to go? So those five areas, you can create a plan right now. And then I tell people update it every year. And just because you create a plan, this is a really trippy 
place, right? Because I've had so many people in this process, like, I don't know if I want to be talking about my death that might bring it on, you know? Okay. They know, I know this is a completely irrational fear and yet it lives, you know, big in everybody's psyche because this is the conditioning and the training we get in this culture that is so afraid of people who are really living and then people who are dying. We're just, it's, it's, you know, it's so, it's, the more I talk about this, the more I, I am really, really getting this very, very clear sense of human beings in the Western world, how we really are just, it's just the matrix. The, the, the Cone brothers, I, I mean, brilliant. Cause that's, that stuff is like real. The more I look at our social fabric and how these ideas and ways of being that we sort of in the mainstream exist in, the more I can see, yeah, this is just constructed for um, a few people to make a lot of money and the 98% of everybody to work for those people and just like, like machines, like just work, grind culture, work, 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 work until you are no longer here. We don't even use the word die. We use all these euphemisms like, oh, they passed, oh, they crossed over. Oh, you know, we don't even use those words. We just say, oh, they're not here anymore. Because that's what you would do as a machine. <laughs> you know, you're working and then you're not here anymore. You're obsolete or you've been, your life cycle is <laughs> just really. Oh, that's another one. If you Google um, uh, life cycle, you know, it's a death doula. I'm always looking for phrases to market, you know, my, my business. So life, death, the circle of life, life cycle. You, you, you Google that word, you're going to get a business plan for how to introduce a product, market a product, and then obsolete a product. Product. Those are that's literally the first page of responses you get if you Google life cycle. Rather than <laughs> be a little uh, automaton in the capitalist, dare I say, white supremacist capitalist matrix, you can actually take hold of your life and um, be truly living it all the way up until the moment that you are dying. I really love what you said. I think it really brings the point of that we're more than workers, that life mm -hmm. cycle piece. We, we're more than our work. We're more than just that. And that liminal space can be longer than our simple end of life phase. It can be if we're addressing it. Am I catching? Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. So that was the practical. Now we're on to the liminal. <laughs> and liminal space is that, you know, space in between, right? And I like to say now about my work is I, I am a, a death doula and I work, I specialize in the liminal space of active dying and just after and grief. They are actually, my experiences are the same space everything kind of slows down and you enter this like tunnel 
of experience and you pop out, the person dies and you pop out into some other space you've never been in before because that's what it is. When someone departs, you had been knowing them, relating to them, knowing them, relating to them, holding vigil, and then now they're not there. Um, at some point, their consciousness departs. They're not there. You can feel that. And that's a, that's a, there's a hole there. That's a liminal space. It's the space in between when they were here and now they're gone. And what do you create next? And that is the space of grief. It's really the same space. That was certainly my experience when my mother died a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. So when she died, then it was like, who am I going to be? You know, um, it's very tempting to do something performative, like I will now be the matriarch of my family. I'm the oldest child. And I quickly realized I was just BS. So who am I going to be? And I got to tap into my ancestors. And... Um, spend the quiet time leaning in to now I had the luxury of time. Not very many people have that. So I want to acknowledge that, but in your busy life, in the moments that you do have available to you, you could just lean in and be informed about a way forward. And one way to do that is to use your body. Um, that actually, this is where the sensual piece comes in. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on this now. We, we spend so much time in our automaton states in our heads, right? Um, we're not getting much encouragement to be in our bodies because if we were in our bodies, we would notice that what we're being asked to do is very painful and draining and sucking the life out of us, actually. So if you, care, if you cared to, if you had the wherewithal to do that, you could turn within Come back to your body. This is the location of where so much of the stuff that you and your head have not been paying attention to, deliberately not confronted. You know what? All that is still in your body. By the way, someone told me, and I know this to be true, that um, in my own experience, that bodies, you know, have their own, you know, this whole mind-body connection. Well, bodies have their own experience being in proximity to bodies who are dying. Wow. Yes. Bodies, your body's like freaking out on some level. Like, oh my God, this, this better not be, this is not happening to me. I got this. I'm taking the next breath. You know, and that's why people often report that after someone has died, they're, and they're grieving, their libido like goes into overdrive. This is your body. Like, I know, no, I'm on this. I, I can create life. I'm in, I'm in the life game. Oh yes. I'm creating life, you know? So um, that's one way to look at that. And I, I kind of like that uh, analogy actually, but you know, your body's keeping score. And so if you, if you are in your head going, Oh, I don't know how to grieve. I'm not really feeling anything. I think I should be feeling something, but I'm not. How do I even access this thing you're calling grief in liminal space? Well, you know what? You can tune into your body. Just breathe. Take some moments of silence. Be outside. Be in the sun. Be on the earth. 
no more woo-woo required than just be, you know, and just notice your breath. And there, right there is about as a doorway in Mm -hmm. to what your special liminal space, what your grief could have to tell you, to show you, to inform you, to hug you, to hold you, to nurture you. That is all there in your body. And you can get it, access it through your senses. This is a sensual piece. This is your five senses and conceptual thought. You know, if you have good intuition, you've got access to that. And conceptual thought can just be memories. You know, that's a, that's a sixth sense, okay? So taste, touch, sound, smell. Um, I'm sure I left out hearing. All of those can be used can tap into any one of them or two or three of them and use that as a doorway into your body and into probably some very good information for healing and for taking the next steps forward. I think the the piece that's really coming up for me right now is there's most likely going to be two separate groups of folks that are watching this or listening to this. People that are already interested in end of life work and they're I'm going to be an end-of-life doula or I work in palliative care. And I think that the ones that are interested in it and haven't done the work, you gave a lot of great information on what it's like to be in that room, what it's like for your own body, what your own experience was. And I I value that uh, information. I think it's going to be useful to people to hear that. And those three words, I are unique. I haven't heard anybody bring in those spaces yet. And I hope people are really getting a lot of value from hearing your experience in this. So I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, We know why you came into this and really the background and the backbone of your business and your uh, niche or your (laughs) feeling and flavor uh, of that. How did you go from you know, working with your family members and, and this to saying, I am an end of life doula. Did you have trainings that were influential or books that were influential to you? Um, yes, there was that moment where I did make that decision to do a training. So I taking it from the friends and family out into, you know, the world. And I have to say my initial the initial impetus was to just get more information so I can support this community I was living in. You know, I was living in this intentional community in Northern California, one of these hippie, (coughs) excuse me, hippie communes that grew up, you know, and so now all those same hippies who were in their 20s in 1960 and 70s are in their 60s and 70s now. (laughs) So they've all grown up and now they're aging. So um, how are we going to age in place well and, have, and die? That includes dying. So that was my initial impulse. But I got to tell you, once I figured out what was available through the training, before I even started, I was like, oh, yes, this is my second chapter. This is what I'm doing next, you know. And... Um, so I, I started the, the training. I did the Conscious Dying Institute's training simultaneous to, because I, well, let's see, I did their training because I was 
interested in that hell that spiritual realm of dying, like what happens as a spirit leaves, what's possible. Um, and then I did um, the University of Vermont online program, um, eight week program, just to get more nuts and bolts. And um, well, from the moment almost that I signed up for the Conscious Dying Institute, I realized that, you know, this could be my second act. So I, I did what it took to prepare a business to be a going concern once I finished those programs. Because what I did know for sure was that those programs were not going to make me an end-of-life doula. Um, they were just going to give me some information and perhaps a title I can hang next to my name and say, I, I've completed this body of work. You can trust me. Um, so um, I hired a brand strategist. You know, I, um, I, Follows all of the suggestions that were in the University of Vermont had a really good program, actually. Um, I followed all their suggestions for starting a business at the end. You know, I ticked through um, the um, getting an LLC, insurance, um, setting all of the nuts, the structure around the business up before I was even actually right after I was done, I, I did all that. So, yeah. And I'm really glad I did. Cause I'll tell you what um, you, as far as I can tell, you cannot make a living being an end of life doula. In fact, as far as what I can see is that the people who are making a living being an end of life doula are the people who are training other people <laughs> to be in the life doulas. That's who I see making money being in the life doulas. Um, and so um, that wasn't crystal clear to me when I was going through the programs or even right after I finished them, but it became really clear within probably three months, like this isn't gonna. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up doing right out of, right out of the training because it was pretty in intensive for me at least the conscious dying, the CDI one, Conscious Dying Institute, that was really intense. I'm actually really glad I did that program, honestly. I tend to kind of downplay it because their program is very white and it's there's a lot of cultural appropriation in that program. Mm -hmm. But one thing they nailed was grooming a person to hold space and really when you get into the actual business or doing of being a doula, someone who is dying, that is 90% of it. There are no magic words or no magic formulas. You could have all the oils or whatever, but it really comes down to just holding space in a non-judgmental, supportive way. Those two words together are not easy. I won't tell you that to do. Doula, I'm sure, will have lots of fun horror stories to tell you about where they didn't do that and it went south fast. Nonetheless, I, uh, I'm glad I did all that business stuff because, well, let me take it back to the, to the CDI. I'm glad I did that program because I came out of there kind of with like an elder. 
And that was cool. I liked I liked growing myself up in the process of becoming, facing confronting death in a deep, meaningful way, not just the nuts and bolts, but in a really deep, meaningful way for myself. And I ended up at the end, like claiming a, an eldership that I had not claimed before. And so that when I started my business, I just kind of was occupying this space of hmm, eldership and waiting for something to happen. And I, I did living funeral ceremonies, you know, to try to generate business, you know, clients. And I, I, I did stuff. Um, then the pandemic hit and uh, we all did all the different pivots we did, you know, through 2020. And um, where I have landed is in the liminal space of <laughs> um, active dying and grief. Because that's what was happening in 2020 was people were just dying and then there were a whole lot of us around grieving all kinds of things, not just people who had passed, um, but all kinds of things. So, yeah. And so I had all this, oh yeah, there we go. So I had all this stuff in place. I had my business in place. I had, you know, the website, the social media, the light, the, the LLC, the insurance. I had all this stuff in place so that when an opportunity came, I could take advantage of it. And it did. June was a watershed moment for my uh, practice. And if I had not had everything in place, I it would have been a tidal wave that would have just towed me under and passed me by. But as it was, I was able to get out my surfboard and <laughs> surf it. So you know, when Alua Arthur says, let's do a webinar on racism and death care, I was ready. Mm. So, I mean, I wasn't ready in, in the sense that I could cap, like, you're never ready for anything <laughs> like that. Let me just tell you one, one, thing, one thing about that. But I was ready in terms of having the, the, a business in place that I could um, have something to offer people if they wanted to continue hearing from me or working with me after that. I'm just struck by a couple of things I want to touch on because I do think that you, you already touched on some of the challenges, right? Nobody um, that we know of gets paid to be an end of life doula for a career um, at this moment, unless they run the training programs. That could be a whole other episode, cultural appropriation uh, in this field at this moment. Uh, And I think that that needs to be, said it needs to be spoken but the one piece that i'm really going to highlight i think claiming elderhood yes thank you for slowing that down and pausing there um i don't say that out loud very often because you know who 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 needs to <laughs> you know if you're whole, <laughs> occupying the space you're just occupying the space um but in the vein of Supporting anyone else to take that step, I will say that it's a little bit like, um, I think, being a musician or anything that requires maybe some talent, maybe, and that you can have this thought that um, you are this, you have a particular skill set and talent for holding space in a very particular way that is powerful, okay? 
And then what you do, you know that, but then you spend almost your entire adult life trying to do everything but that, you know, you downplay that, you hide that, you know, and honestly, for a lot of people, for very good reason. So I'm not going to pretend that these ways we have of being are dysfunctional. These ways we have our being are right. And then a moment in time comes when you find something more right to be, to do, or I won't say more right. You find the next right thing to do and be. So let me just say that if you are considering being a death doula because you feel called to do it, because you know that you have a special capability in whatever way you do to guide people and families through this extraordinary, mysterious time, um, then it is useful to all of the rest of us for you to claim that space. This is one profession and there are many of them. Like I think doctors should claim this also, but um, this is one profession where what is required is you step into your power. That is just required to hold the space. If you're not going to do that, I can respect that. Don't do the work. Yeah. Do something else. You know, there's so much work to be done in the death care space. If you did nothing but education, <laughs> that would be huge, huge for the rest of us. Okay. Yeah. The way I'm translating that in my own language is our imposter syndrome needs to be superseded by our why. Right. We have to have a why. Why are we going into end of life care? Why do we want to call ourselves a end of life doula or death doula? It comes with confidence and competence. And so that's why we are asking about trainings and, and all these things that matters, right? Reading and learning and being bedside and doing the work matters, not just mm -hmm. why. So our final question is your hopes for the field of end of life doula. Oh, yeah, I was chuckling about this with you earlier. Because <laughs> I know how somebody answered this question. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> let's see. I want people who look like me to be cared for well. Yeah. All the way through. Yeah, all the way through. And I suspect that a lot of people who are going to be looking or listening to this 
are not going to be people who look like me. And that doesn't mean that you don't get to hold space so that people who look like me are cared for well. Um, it also, I don't, actually I'm not quite sure how I just said that last sentence, but it, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do it, but you certainly can't not figure it in. Um, and so, yeah, my hope is that I think that's it. I think that's really kind of all I have to say about it is that people with black and brown and um, bodies, um, you know, my Asian and indigenous sibs just all get held well. just want to leave space for that here as well. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for this whole episode. I think this is our longest episode. Uh, and because you brought your heart and your head. And I think people that are coming into this business need to hear everything that you had to say. Thank you. Where can people find you? Oceana, endoflifedoula.com. Oceana End of Life Doula on Instagram. Oceana End of Life Doula on Facebook. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Just, that's where I am. And it might be Oceana Sawyer on Clubhouse, but we'll double check and put that in the notes. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Oceana Sawyer on LinkedIn. That's it. So thank you again for sharing your how and why and challenges and hopes for this field. All of your information will be in the show notes so people can find you. Thanks to everyone who is listening or watching this. Please subscribe and like and share, and it helps us have more conversations like this. That is all for today, and we will see you in the next episode.